week is going to be a bit different because there will be no guest. It's just my mouth sounds into your ear holes. <laughs> if you listened to the last episode with Sarah Zedig, you may have an idea of where this is going. We talked a lot about supporting the arts and what that means. We talked about Patreon and how it's allowing people like us to ask for support. Yes, this is the episode where I ask you to directly support me and the work I do for the show. This is the Patreon launch episode. But before I do that, I want to thank you all for listening. Knowing that you are enjoying the show gives me the motivation to move forward, to put in the many, many hours it takes to edit. I want to be better, stronger, faster. (laughs) For you all, I want to produce a higher quality show. I want to get guests that you request. I want to improve and grow because of you. So thank you for listening to me, to challenging me, and for inspiring me. Without you, this would not be possible. One of the ways you can support me outside of listening to the show is becoming a patron of mine. Patrons will get behind-the-scenes sneak peeks at upcoming guests, new content, and even unreleased test content. I'll be posting work in progresses of my art and holding polls on what you'd like me to draw. I'll be tailoring future streams to include patron suggestions. So, it's not solely podcast-related rewards. Now, I know you guys want to know about the tiers. What are you going to get for your money? Well, I'll tell you. Tier 1 is called Your Loving Support. It's $1 or more per month. And it just lets me know that you support me. You get early access to podcast guest information, ability to vote in content-related polls, and Patreon-only posts. An example of some Patreon-only posts that I've put up lately is a sneak peek of my newest YouTube video. I'll give you an exclusive sneak peek here. It's an ASMR video. (laughs) Tier 2 is called Your Caring Support. It's $5 or more per month, and Tier 2 supporters will receive all Tier 1 rewards access to private patron Discord channels, an invitation to the patron-only private live stream, and a personalized thank you sent directly to your email inbox every month. I'm not talking about a standard monthly thank you that goes out to every patron and is the same copy-pasted thing. No. I mean, I'm going to send you an email every month personally thanking you for being a patron of mine. The next tier is called Your Loyal Support. It's $10 or more per month. Tier 3 supporters will receive all the previous tier rewards and monthly physical goodies. Uh, Some examples of physical goodies are like stickers, postcards, maybe little keychain charms. All of these will come with a personal message of thanks from me. Tier 4 is a limited tier. It's only available to 10 patrons, and that's because those 10 patrons will become my pen pal. You're going to receive a handwritten letter and a personalized doodle from me every single month. I'm really looking forward to getting to know those 10 special patrons, and it's limited because not only is it $20, which is a bit more than the other tiers, but it requires a bit more work. So I want to be able to know that I can sustainably interact with these 10 people without burning myself out. And if I can do that after a few months, I might open it up to some more patrons. But for right now, it's a limited tier to 10 patrons. And then I have one more tier, your eternal support. It's $50 or more per month. I don't know 
what I would give tier 5 supporters. They'd receive all previous month's rewards, but I would have to come up with something. I really don't expect people to do this tier, but I thought, well, I guess I'll put it up there for anyone who wants to, and if anyone decides to sign up for it, then I'll figure out something great to send them. I have a couple ideas, but I'll just wait around and see if anyone snags one of those before thinking too hard about it. <laughs> something that I have thought long and hard about is the special offer that I'm going to be running alongside the launch of my Patreon. All new and upgrading members of my Patreon will be receiving a postcard from me with a personalized thank you. And if there are tear stains on them when they arrive, it's because I got emotional when writing thank yous, so you'll have to forgive me. <laughs> But really, I cannot wait to make these postcards. I've got some really great ideas. I'm thinking about doing a wild and wacky retro photo shoot or maybe some cosplay or something really fun to have on these postcards. So I'm really looking forward to sending those out. And again, during this special offer, all new and upgrading members of my Patreon will be getting one of these postcards along with the postcards and the tears and the goodies and all the fun things that you get for supporting me on Patreon. What you also get is this meaning the world to me. Any amount that anyone chooses to pledge is amazing and really truly helps me live my dream. So thank you again for making this possible. If you want to support me but do not have the financial ability to do so, that is completely understandable and absolutely all right. Sharing the podcast on social media or reviewing it on iTunes is a wonderful way to support me as well. I'm going to end this special episode with another thank you to all of my listeners, my guests, and fans of the show. You've made this experience one I'll never forget. Until next time, I'll see you over on Patreon. Okay, 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 you caught me. I'm not actually just going to release a five-minute video solely promoting my Patreon. Instead, what I'm going to do is share again one of the episodes that I think was really good but didn't get enough listens, and that is my interview with amazing artist Fabelina. She also has a Patreon that you can check out if you are so interested. Whether you're listening to this for the first time or you're hearing this again as a re-release, I hope you enjoy this interview with Fabelina. How are you doing today? Thanks for joining me. I'm pretty good. It is a lovely rainy day today and I have an affinity for rainy days. Oh, perfect timing. I got you on the best day. Now, do you want me to call you Fabe or Wit? Which do you prefer? Because I will be referencing Fabelina a lot. It'd probably be easier for you to call me Wit than... All right, that sounds good. Well, why don't we start with some of the easy questions? I won't go too hard on you in the beginning. Can you tell us a little bit about when you started drawing? I've been drawing for most of my life, but I didn't really get serious about it until 2014. I was working as a photographer and I was shooting weddings a lot and children's portraits and family portraits and graduations. And I didn't really feel very fulfilled. And my husband was like, maybe you should try drawing because I had doodled a lot in college and he'd seen me doodling, but I wasn't super good at it. He would probably get mad at me for saying that <laughs> because he thought I was good, but I was very shy about it and he pushed me. And so in 2014, I made a Twitter account and I started posting my work to keep myself accountable. What a supportive partner. That's really great of scoring. Do you feel that any of your photography experience kind of bleeds over into your artwork? I think that it definitely helped with my understanding of composition in the beginning because I, I had to study that when I decided to do photography. 
But I think the thing that has impacted me most and why I'm thankful that I, I spent a while as a photographer is the confidence that it gave me to put myself out there. Because when you're wrangling up an entire family in the middle of a chaotic wedding, you have to be assertive. And that definitely helped me break out of my shell and gave me the confidence to do what I do today. Yeah, I can imagine it's difficult to wrangle a wedding party after a couple glasses of wine have been had. It is. Wit, have you had that moment of, I made it? Have you had that feeling of just like, I've kind of done it? Not really, because my ultimate goal in art hasn't been reached, but it's within my sight. So I'm more happy that I've gotten to a place where I feel like I'm okay with my art and the progression of my art. And in that way, I kind of feel like I've made it because I'm not searching for myself so much anymore. You're like, yeah, I can do it. I know who I am and what I'm about. A little bit or more. I've just, I've exceeded my own expectations enough times to know that my limits are only as hard to reach those limits as I'm willing to go. Wow. Oh, I really like that. Well, let me follow up what you said there with a question about what your measure of success is. Because I think you kind of touched on it a bit with what you just said, but like, what would success mean to you? As much as I would like to say it's a studio job or, you know, completing my my five biggest goals in life, I, I keep a list of goals that are important to me. I think I can only consider myself successful when uh, when I'm happy in myself and I'm I'm being good to other people and I have good people in my life. That's all the success I want out of life. Everything else is cherries on top of that. Well, some cherries would be the ideal version of your career. What does that ideal career cherry on top of the success pile look like? Well, I'm very inspired by freelance artists who are working for themselves, which is just what freelance means. It's redundant, but they're working for themselves by going after projects that they admire and working with the companies that they want to work with. People I can think of off the top of my head are Loesch, who's also really well-known as Charlie Bowater. Mm. And I, I like that they're still kind of free and they're on their own, but they do high-end contract work that really piques their interest. And they're constantly working on interesting things. And that is my eventual goal to be able to do that all the time. When did you know Wit, that you could make art your career? I would say the first time someone asked me for a commission four years ago, I had never considered the fact that people would want to pay me for my art. And I was really scared to jump in the water, but there was enough demand that I decided to do it. And I just never stopped doing it. <laughs> oh, what was that first commission like? How did it feel when you handed it over and then got whatever feedback you got back? It was very stressful. And it was so far above my skill level at the time. I was so overwhelmed. I think I worked on it for a month back and forth with my first client. And in the end, I was just happy that I finished it. But at the time, I wasn't producing anything that I was truly happy with in the end. Because at that point, I was still looking for my style and my inspirations and what I wanted to do with my business. So it was all very unsure. And I think that showed a lot in my art. Do you still get that kind of like, Stress feeling when you hand over a commission, when you say, hey, you know, this is the first finished draft. Do you have any feedback, anything like that? Or does that go away after a while? Do you think that ever goes away? 
I'm nervous every time I send a client a final draft because, you know, you have this innate desire to want their approval and they're paying you money. So you, you want to make sure that it's worth what they're giving you. But in later years, I have gotten a better sense of what people are looking for. So I feel a little more confident when I send it. But there's always that twinge of doubt of, oh, what if they're just telling me they like it? You know, and I've noticed a lot of artists feel that way. I think that's probably just a sign that we really care about our clients, to be honest. Yeah, I think that's very human nature. You want them to be pleased because you're making something for them that, you know, is coming from usually a very personal place. I teased a bit earlier about your character, Fabelina, who's a night elf druid. Was she your first major original character? I would say in the sense of like a fully fleshed original character, yes. I played a shaman, a Draenei shaman before her for I think four or five years, but I had never really developed a backstory for her and I, I drew her only a few times. But Fabe really became not only my escape in game, but she's kind of the face of my business now too. Right, she's your little mascot. Yes, and I always wanted a mascot. I, I tried several other <laughs> unsuccessful mascots that just didn't stick before her. What were some of the other things you tried? Well, one of them was a druid that I didn't play, but it was this purple-haired druid. I think I've deleted every picture of her from the internet. I'm sure she's still floating around out there somewhere, but she was an she was another bad druid, but she was feral, and she was stuck half in feral form. It was a terrible idea. I'm so glad huh. that I didn't keep it. I mean, that's not a terrible idea narrative-wise. I'd have to see the, the art, but I do love Fabe's like Night Elf Druid trying very hard, but, you know, learning as she's going along kind of theme. I think it's very relatable. I think it might have induced a few nightmares had I kept that poor character. So we scrapped her after I got some ridicule. Very much deserved fun poking at the, the poor character design. <laughs> when you made Fabe, how long were you playing her before you started making art of her? Or was it kind of a, they both happened at the same time type thing? Well, I created her in Miss of Pandaria when I had a lot more time to play alts. But at the time, her name was Sweet Claws. All of my characters started with Sweet in the front with something after. And so I played her all through Miss of Pandaria. And when the new models came out, she just didn't look the same anymore. At that time, she had green hair. And so I spent like a day playing with the new character models. And I'm like, I just can't make a night elf that I like. And so I passed her to Scorn and I said, here, you just make the coolest night elf you can make. And that's what I'm going to play as my main. And so he made Fabe, actually. Oh, we've got Scorn a lot to thank for. In fact, I know that you've done some written work of Fabe, you know, where you explore her background and you integrated your husband's scorn into that story. I want to ask you how your process was for that. And do you want to continue making written work to accompany your art? Well, my husband is a huge fan of Night Elves. That's why he plays one. So he was very stoked when I started playing one too. And we would go for long walks by the river and I kid you not, <laughs> we would go on walks by the river on dates and talk about our characters in World of Warcraft. And we would spin these stories and we did an RP together, but we would talk about it outside of the game. And I was like, you know what? We should write these down. And so I started trying to work on my writing skills at the same time. So it just lined up really nicely. 
That is the cutest thing I've ever heard. I love seeing sometimes people will post screenshots of their characters on dates and whatnot. And I think that is the most adorable thing. Do you think that you will continue to do written work? Because I know the last one you did, which is on your Tumblr, was a bit about when the Legion came. And I think Scorn at that point is playing a demon hunter and Fabe is still her druid self and kind of learning how to properly druid. Is that the last thing you're going to do? Or do you think you'll do some more of that in the future? Well, first of all, it makes me incredibly happy that you actually read them. It It's still... I don't know. It just makes my heart flutter that people actually read those. But yes, yes, I have a lot of plans. I keep a journal on my desk as I think of the plot for the future, um, what's going to happen. And I'm trying to weave in some foreshadowing for Fabe's later story. Currently, I'm working on the end of the story of how she learns bear form, which is a really big turning point in her life. And then the next story I will be working on will be probably the darkest thing I've come up with for Fabe's story, but it's going to be basically the reason that she has her markings and what her markings mean, her facial tattoos and why her mentor gave them to her. And then after that, we'll probably work on actually writing her and scorn together because it's about time. <laughs> People keep asking me. <laughs> well, we want the lore. I think something that helps people connect to, you know, the beautiful art that you're making is the story. The narrative really helps people kind of relate and see where she's coming from. And speaking on that lore, I know that you just touched on her mentor and you made some comics with Fabe and her mentor, like her getting her tattoo and whatnot. You've given Fabe a whole world and a story that doesn't, you know, really exist within Warcraft, which is kind of the world in which she was formed and born and kind of where her, you know, character model comes from, but her character story comes from you and your imagination. How do you toe that line between, you know, keeping her true to her game self and then making your own character? Well, I think a lot of artists and writers in the community and our, the RP community as well, we like to write and draw and focus on stories of the Warcraft lore that isn't really fleshed out, but that interests us. And that's kind of where my focus was. Well, in the game, she helps characters receive their flight form. And in her story, she doesn't quite know flight form yet. So the way that I reconcile that is that the version that you're seeing in game is a future better version of her when she's more knowledgeable and sure of herself. And I'm writing the story to get to that point. Yeah, that's a perfect antidote because her NPC is very knowledgeable. I mean, she's giving people their owl flight form. She's an arch druid, if I'm correct. And that is a big change from what's going on now. So I think that having that angle is a good choice. And it's funny because one of the reasons that I wrote her so simple and unintelligent and she struggles with learning is because there is a tendency in the game to feel very much like you're the most powerful character. Your character is the greatest hero. And while I like that on some of my characters, I wanted to have one character that kind of was, you know, an average Joe kind of person and maybe wasn't the greatest. And I thought that would be fun to explore. I'm glad you brought that point up. I hadn't thought of it from that angle. I'm happy you said something because I think that that's something that people really deal with. It's like, okay, we're commanders and we're like celebrated within these halls that we have and we're all just the best player ever and the most 
recognized and awarded hero. And it's like, well, victory doesn't feel so good without failure. You know, just always being the best. is kind of boring. Yeah, a little bit. And you just get more powerful and more powerful every expansion. And so Fabe was both a way for me to reset that feeling when I'm playing in game and also a way for me to deal with the feelings in my real life that I kind of came into my own a little later than I had hoped. And I I started this art journey a lot later than a lot of people. And I kind of feel like her sometimes. So it's an escape for me. I think that a lot of other artists hearing that are going to be very encouraged because you do put a bit of yourself in all the art that you make, or at least I do. And I think that people will like hearing that from you. Speaking of other artists, several artists in our community have gained their audience through fan art and then moved away from doing that into their own projects. And they've expressed guilt, worry over their audience, feeling like they were disingenuous in the beginning. And obviously that's not the case. Artists are people whose tastes change over time and, you know, they don't have to, are not obligated to continue making a certain type of art for their audience. But I know that it's still a concern with a lot of people. Do you ever deal with those kind of thoughts? Sometimes. I'm still in a phase where I'm really enjoying doing fan art and exploring my characters through somebody else's IP. But I do have some higher plans for this journey that include doing some of my own things. But fan art really is kind of a natural progression, I think, for artists online. It's very hard for people who come onto the scene producing only original artwork to get noticed. And there are a lot of people who do get noticed and who are very successful, but I think it's a little bit rarer. So I wouldn't feel guilty or blame yourself for drawing people in with fan art. And then when you feel more comfortable showing them something, you know, some deeper part of you and your expression. Absolutely. Do you have personal products you would like to share with your audience that you're reluctant to because it's not Blizzard related? Everything I'm currently working on right now and planning for the near future is within the Blizzard sphere. But there was a time, I think it was last summer, I started showing people my Queen series, which is an idea that I had in my head since I was in elementary school. But I think it was moving a little bit too quickly for me. It was a little bit too much of myself too fast. And I wanted to take the time to do it justice instead of just getting it out there. But my ultimate goal in life, and I and I hope that I can complete this within the next three to five years, is an original fantasy art book, like a coffee table book. That's the big dream. Okay. Sign me up whenever that happens. That will be amazing. I hope so. <laughs> I know that because you are a popular artist within the Blizzard community, and this just exists, we have to acknowledge that it exists. It exists. You know, art theft is a thing. People repost art without credit all the time. How do you deal with that? To be honest, I feel like this is an area in my journey that I've grown the most in and that I've I've kind of had to grow in after I got past a certain number of followers and my audience reached a certain level. It just became inevitable. I mean, it's several times a day people are saying, you know, hey, this person is reposting your stuff and this person didn't credit you. So I break it down into three categories. Well, four, if you want to get technical. But if it's something legal that I need to take care of, like someone making money off of my art on a t-shirt, I just go through the proper channels to deal with that. And I don't say anything to the person. I just do what needs to be done. And then the other scenario is when someone reposts my art without credit. It happens a lot. 
And I used to take it very personally. I don't anymore. And more often than not, there's always someone in the comments saying, hey, this is Fabulina. So I don't bother with it too much. And if someone who does it constantly, I'll say, hey, maybe, you know, put the credit there sometimes. The other scenario is when someone reposts and they credit you, but they don't ask you. That used to really bother me too. I've kind of embraced it now because most of the time their intentions are good and and they're trying to promote you to other people. And so a lot of times, more often than not, it's going to work out in your favor. And the last one is my least favorite, if you want to go for the fourth category, which is people who either trace my art and repost it or repost my art as it is and then cover up my signature and say that it's theirs. And that one, I usually just go for a block or something and then don't deal with it because it's kind of hard to help someone who's going that far, you know? Yeah, I think that's rough, that fourth category, because clearly they're dealing with something. If they're not, what are they going to get out of doing that? They're never going to be able to make commissions or replicate that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And it just, it's difficult. I've seen it pop up more recently. I'm not sure what the influx, like the reason for the influx has been. But yeah, I do find the things that I post being traced and repost a lot. And when people do it for self-improvement and and they do it privately, that's that's okay. Although I would encourage you to trace somebody's art that's better <laughs> than mine. Oh, but um, but if, if you're going to post it, it's, it's usually a good idea to ask or to let people know, hey, this was just for practice. This is not, you know, my original work. Right. And I think that you are popular enough now that a lot of people would recognize your style. Yeah, it, it does happen where where people will let them know and that in turn lets me know. And that's that's usually where or how I run into it. Yeah, I think that your attitude towards art theft shows a lot of growth, personal growth, because uh, I think a lot of people can get very and reasonably upset about it, uh, especially when you're first starting out. But the way that you handle it is very mature. Well, I'll be perfectly honest with you. It wasn't within myself. I had talked about it publicly a few times and expressed my opinions on it. And I was approached both by a Blizzard employee and a person who runs a reposting website or a channel. And I had some pretty lengthy discussions with both of them. And after taking you know a few weeks to think about it and hearing the difficulties both in the professional industry with that and from the viewpoint of the person who is reposting, who is trying to benefit artists, really changed my mind on it. And I can tell you, my experience online is so much better now that that's one less thing to worry about. Good. I'm so glad to hear that. Now, I want to ask you, because as far as I know, and unless I've had my head under a rock or something, I'm pretty sure you don't have a Patreon and you don't stream thus far. Have you considered doing either of those things? I stream very occasionally. It does happen. It is a rare sighting, but uh, yeah. I'm trying to coax myself into streaming more. I'm very shy and I get really nervous when I'm filming my process, especially with trying to work and trying to interact and finding a balance there. But I really admire people that do it and I enjoy other people's streams. So I would like to do that. And as far as Patreon goes, my number one goal for this year is to launch a Patreon. It's on my list. It'll probably happen hopefully right after I finish badge season or shortly after BlizzCon. We were shooting for January of this year, but I had some commercial projects pop up that I needed to complete and some other real life issues. And I decided if I was going to do Patreon, I want to do it well 
So I want to do it when there's time and space made for it. Okay. Well, is there anything that you can share with us here that you're thinking of doing for some of your tears? And if there's not, don't worry about it. I'm not going to pressure you. Well, the thing I get asked for most that people want a Patreon for are tutorials. And, and this is a really disappointing answer, but I don't feel like I have much to teach, but I'm going to try. I'm going to do my best to make some tutorials at a lower level. So something below $10, because I feel like that's that's about the level of what I can provide. I'm, I'm trying to shoot for one tutorial a month. I think tutorials are so helpful. Even if you just do something like a sped up version of one of your streams and kind of talk over what your steps were, even that is helpful. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, no problem. Another thing that people are really interested in are comics, but comics take so much time. So if I were able to launch a Patreon, I could devote more time to that. And I think that's probably what I'm most excited for. Yes, I've loved the comics that you've done so far. So I would really enjoy that. I want to ask what your thoughts are on the Patreon model, because I think that Patreon is something that allows the artists, I think, have a lot more freedom and are able to connect with their core audience more easily. What do you think about Patreon? I think it's a brilliant model. And there are a lot of people in our community who utilize it very well. And their patrons seem very happy. But more than that, I think it's a great consistent income for the people who are creating and a way for people who really want to support them to directly connect with them in a way that is not the same as just supporting them on social media. I've heard from several artist friends that it's hard to work on personal art or have hobbies outside of art when art is your job. There's some guilt associated with not being constantly working. How do you handle your work-life balance? This is something that I think every artist has to come to grips with. Art can really eat up your entire life and your relationships and your downtime. Not last summer, but the summer before that, I spent the entire summer and then a few more months. So there was a seven-month stretch of time where the only thing I worked on were commissions. It was all paid work and I was working morning, noon, and night, weekends, didn't go out except, you know, on the weekends to get groceries, only what I had to do. And I don't remember anything from that time. And by the end of it, I was exhausted. And I promised myself that I would stop doing that. So these days, I get up at a good time. I go to bed at a good time. I work normal work hours during the day. I don't work on personal things during the day. If I want to work on something to keep that fire going that isn't, you know, something that you have to do, I either work on it at night or I'll work on it on the weekends. That's when I get a lot of my personal art done. And then sometimes I'll hold on to the pieces to post them during the week when things are a little bit slow and I'm, I'm working on a lot of projects I can't show. But I do make scheduled time in the week to spend time with people and to play video games because the, you're right, there is this guilt that comes with not working when you know that you have a schedule and you know you have things on your list. But I also think it is pretty unhealthy to never let yourself express yourself creatively. And it, you know, your creation just becomes your job all the time. And then you never have any other outlet that isn't drawing. So they can both be a detriment if you don't kind of keep an eye on that. Did you ever have an art mentor or someone who really supported your dreams? You've mentioned Scorn earlier as an early or the first supporter of your art. Well, my grandmother really believes in me, <laughs> but I, I think my followers and my 
my friends in the artist community have helped me the most for sure. And did you ever have someone who you considered to be a mentor, an art mentor? No, but I'm taking applications. <laughs> but no, I do talk to a few people in the industry in private, and I have been able to ask some people questions. But to have someone guiding me through the process, no, most of it's just been, oh, that looks amazing. I want to learn how to do that. So I scour the internet to find how or just trial and error it until it works. But there are times where I wish I, I had a teacher for sure. All right. We'll have to collect applications. Faye's looking for some help. Although I think you've got it pretty well covered. Well, thank you. <laughs> well, let's move on to the, the game portion of this podcast. And I want to ask when you started playing games. Well, funny story. Games were not allowed in my house as a kid. So I didn't really get to play until I was 18. So there are a lot of video games I've missed out on, namely things like the Kingdom Hearts series, which I am just now getting to go back and play. When I was little, I did have a Game Boy. I can't remember which family member gave it to me, but my parents, if they had known about it, they probably would not have allowed me to have it, but I would sneak it to play Mega Man. I don't remember which Mega Man. I just remember it was Mega Man, and I got to a boss that I couldn't defeat, and I never played it again. <laughs> oh, no. That was been a really cruel defeat. Well, you've touched just now on not having video games in your home, and then your grandmother also being very supportive of your art. What were the reasons behind not being able to have video games at all? Were you able to have other kinds of media? No. I wasn't allowed to watch movies that had magic in them or read books that weren't the Bible or missionary stories because my family was very religious. Do you think that impacts your personality now or your relationship with your family? Well, my dad doesn't speak to me anymore, but my mom is very supportive. It took her a while because it's it's hard for a lot of people who are not a part of the art community to see art as a real job and to see playing video games as a valid like usage of your time. But I think seeing how much it makes me and my husband happy, she doesn't understand it, but she's okay with it. And she's just excited that I'm excited. And that's a good feeling. I'm really glad to hear that you get that support from your mom. I'm sorry about it your father but it's nice to have that well you love it and i love you so i will support you as you're doing this yeah well we'll move on to something a bit lighter thank you for sharing that very personal antidote with me i want to ask what brought you over to wow did you just pick it up on your own did someone introduce you to wow what lured you into the world of warcraft well, when I got married, I was playing this MMO called Fiesta Online. And yes, it still exists. And it is still as cheesy as it was back then. I had no idea how to play an MMO. I remember spending the first week running around in the starting zone asking random players, how do I play this game? And eventually someone stopped and talked to me and they said, you, you seriously don't know how to play an MMO? And he was like, you go into the woods, you kill monsters, you get levels. I was like, really? That's it? That's so easy. <laughs> so I was playing that and my husband was like, well, if you like that, you should come try World of Warcraft because he had been playing it since Burning Crusade. And at that time, Wrath of the Lich King was out. And I had heard horror stories about World of Warcraft. I heard that it sucked away your soul and, and that people who played it had no life. And, oh boy. you know, all these, these stereotypes about people who played. Wow. And he told me that 
the story of, of how he started playing, which was in the hospital after an incident. And he couldn't walk and he couldn't move. And he was in therapy, relearning how to use his limbs and playing uh, Burning Crusade and fighting Illidan with his friends. He was able to regain a lot of the use in his mouse hand. And so that it, WoW was a very huge coping mechanism for him. And at the same time, his best friend was going through treatments for leukemia. So they had nothing else to do but play. And it had been such a positive influence on his life. I was like, well, I guess, you know, maybe it's not so bad. Let me check it out. And all he had to do was show me the character creation screen and I was hooked. He showed me <laughs> the characters that I could make and I was like, okay, I'll go play it. Let's try. Oh, absolutely. I would play just a character creation game where the entire purpose is just to create characters. It's fantastic. And that was a beautiful story about Scorn. And we've touched on how your characters, Fabelina and Scorn, met, you know, in game. And you've talked a little bit about that in your comics and writing. How did Scorn and Fabelina, the people, meet? Oh, boy. Well, <laughs> I was this brace-faced kid in college a year too early. And he was the bad boy at school that half the rule books and or Ooh, the boy. rules in the rule book were written about him. And I remember the first time I met him thinking, I want to stay 50 feet away from that guy. He looks like trouble. And then, you know, as lots of time passed and our friends brought us closer together, they, they set us up on a date and that was it. I saw him for the person that he was, which was an incredibly inspiring and sweet person with with a very tough outer shell. <laughs> that is adorable. You were like, oh, no, no. Let me stay away from this guy. Oh, my heart. Well, I do want to ask, because we've talked about how, you know, you do fan art and you do your own art, but a lot of it is influenced by the Blizzard properties. And while you started playing World of Warcraft in Wrath of the Lich King, which, by the way, everyone that I've interviewed, with the exception of one or two people, I think, started in Vanilla, the majority of the people that I've interviewed started playing in Wrath of the Lich King. How wild is that? That is something else. <laughs> <laughs> but a lot of us Warcraft players have really embraced the newer Blizzard properties, games like Hearthstone and Overwatch. What are your thoughts on the Blizzard franchise as a whole? I think pretty much anything they decide to go for, they're going to make an excellent game in that genre at, if not the best game in that genre. And yes, that is as fangirl as that sounds. <laughs> but I am a huge fan of Overwatch. The only reason I haven't been able to get as much into Hearthstone and Heroes of the Storm is just I never really played those types of games before. So I'm still struggling, like trying to figure out how to be good at both of those games. Yeah, I think that Hearthstone is a really good introduction into card games. Like once you play and understand Hearthstone, you will understand some of the more complicated card games like Magic the Gathering, for instance. But I think Blizzard did really well on that. Your art has been shared by official Blizzard accounts and is seen on the Blizzard campus. That has got to feel really gratifying as someone who makes a lot of Blizzard fan art. What is it like having Big Daddy Blizzard notice your art? I get butterflies every time. It is really nice. And to have been able to have them trust me, you know, most recently in November to, to do a piece of art for them, that was a dream come true. I mentioned earlier that I have five life goals and that was one of them and i've had that goal to be able to work on something some kind of contract work with blizzard since 
2014. So not only was it uh, amazing just as an experience, but it was amazing that I feel very fortunate that I'm one of those people that get to say I, I got to do something that I've dreamed of for a long time. Your Blizzard comic that you did was the Death by Frog comic, if I'm not mistaken. That's the one. So that is an adorable comic. It's a sweet antidote. Do you want to tell us a little bit about it? Well, yeah. I mean, the the idea behind it was that community members were sending in stories, and then those stories were given to artists to illustrate. And I loved the one that I got because... I, I know exactly what that feels like because my first character was a mage and killing this huge monster that you're focusing on only to get really low to be killed by a much smaller creature that you accidentally AOE'd. I was so pleased that that was the one that was given to me. And But as excited as I was for myself and, and as excited as I was to work with some of the people at Blizzard who are ridiculously lovely people, it's really important to me to be a part of the community more than just myself and to get to do it alongside such amazingly talented and skilled and dedicated artists that I admire was a really cool experience. A lot of those comics were not only expertly drawn, but just so hilarious. So combining the story with the artist, I think was a fantastic idea. And we've all had that moment of AOEing ourselves to death, right? Yeah. And it inspired me to keep trying. One of the reasons that I, I am doing more comics recently is because I got that wonderful experience. And when they asked me about it, I didn't know anything about doing comics. So I did a bunch of research and I had two weeks to create the piece. So I had to learn fast. And I, I enjoyed doing that so much that I was like, I have to keep trying. I have to learn more. And seeing the other people's works and, and how knowledgeable they were really inspired me to keep going, keep pushing that skill and trying. Well, one thing that you've gotten out of keeping on and, and really improving your art and being noticed by the people over at Blizzard is that you now have your very own NPC you teach people how to activate the owl flight form. So how did you find out that was going to happen? And what was your reaction like? Well, I don't know if there's any protocol for of what you're allowed to say with that. But it was very mysterious. It wasn't like you get a letter in the mail that says, congratulations, <laughs> you're getting an NPC. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of people think that's how it happened. But no, I basically was contacted by someone at Blizzard who asked me what Fabe's full name was. And then like a few days later, what's her spec? And then do you have a canon look in the game? And I had to think about it for a little bit. And there's there's one transmog that I'm always coming back to when I don't know which transmog to. So I was like, yeah, yeah, there's this, this, this uh, purple dragon look that I have with a big scythe. I really like that one. And then they asked me, can you stay in that look until Monday? And that's when, you know, the wheels started turning in my head. And I was like, what is going on? And, but I didn't want to assume. And then I didn't hear anything for weeks. Nothing happened. And so I, I started to forget about it. And I was like, oh, well, I mean, maybe, maybe that was just someone being curious. And then I get a message from a friend at Wowhead saying, we've data mined something. And it was an amazing experience to share with my friend. And then I was given a clue that there were two locations. And so it was really fun to run around with my friends and my guildies and try to find the second location until we found her in Moonglade. 
That's right. You have another location where you're sitting and are you making art? You're doing something with scrolls, right? She was given a little scroll of paper and an parchment and a brush and some little paint canisters. And it's just the most adorable thing. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I'd forgotten about that. And it's the hype of like actually being an NPC that does something for characters that I forgot about her sweet little painting. And she's like kneeling at the Moonglade, right? Yeah, it's really sweet. And it's been a year now and I'm still not over it. But I think my favorite reaction to her was Red Shirt Guy who found her in Moonglade. And I think he was on a paladin. And he talked to her and she asked him how he's feeling today as, as a druid and if he likes his flight form. And he's like, I'm pretty sure the Cenarian Circle would be able to see through my disguise should I be able to look like an art <laughs> druid. So that was my favorite reaction. What are some of the moments that came out of that? You know, you just talked about your favorite reaction, but when it was announced and when you were finally able to like talk about it, I remember seeing just so many retweets of people being like, I found you. And occasionally we still do get that. What has that been like? Just all your friends going and the people that are like, hey, I recognize this name. What does that feel like each time you see someone send you like a screenshot of them with Fabe? I giggle in real life every time. And sometimes I throw my hands in the air and squeal because I still can't believe it. It's another one of those things that was in my top five things I hoped would happen in my life. And, you know, I was just hoping, you know, maybe there would be a mention of me somewhere in World of Warcraft, maybe her name in a quest or an item or something. I I, I never thought that she would be an NPC. And on top of that, that she would be drawing, you know, like me, and that people could hang out and say, hey, and It's just been the the greatest gift every time people send me a picture of it. I try not to retweet too many of them because I would retweet all of them because I love them and I don't want to be annoying, especially when it was first announced and everybody knew I was drawing pictures of it and I was retweeting tons of the pictures and I was like, everyone's going to hate me if I keep doing this. (laughs) I can't celebrate too much, but it's it's precious. And um, you can probably tell in my voice right now how big my smile is. I'm still so grateful that they did that for me. We were all excited for you. I don't think any of us would have been annoyed by your retweets, but that is a fantastic thing to have happen. And who knows, you've done some other designs. So let's talk about that a bit. You've done some fairy designs for all of the Overwatch heroes thus far. With their whimsical meets badass appeal, those designs have been a big hit. How did they come about? What was your inspiration for creating the first fairy Overwatch design? Well, the very first one was Mercy. And my funny story to go along with that was that I simply, I didn't have any Mercy skins that I felt really jumped out at me at the time because this was two years ago or something like that when the first one was drawn. And I was about to go hop in the shower and, and go run errands. And I drew Fairy Mercy about 15 minutes before I got in the shower. And when I came back, the reaction to her was staggering. And I was like, okay, well, maybe we should do another one. And Taryn Gregory's wife, Diva, she really likes fairies too. And she asked if maybe we could see a fairy May. And so fairy May was the second and people like fairy May. And so I was like, okay, well, let's, let's do some more of the characters that I like too. And then it became, let's do them all. (laughs) The perfect snowball. Well, I know there was some controversy over this and some people were 
rather rude about it. And if you don't want to speak on it, that's okay. But you create a design for an online contest for like create an Overwatch hero. Do you want to kind of talk about what happened with that? Yes, it was a community contest run by a friend of mine. And all of the submissions were really fun to look through. And I spent I think like a week trying to plan out this character. And originally she had a pole arm and we ended up going with something that looks a little bit between May and Doomfist and her design. And I posted it. I'm not thinking anything of it. And I had no idea <laughs> the way the community was going to react to this. At one point, I think there was a day in like a 24 hour span, I had 500 comments that were in the vein of your art suck. I hope you never draw again. Why would you put this on the internet? And it really got to me at the time. And then the next day, I was like, okay, I'm over this. It's good. And I woke up to 200 more. And nowadays, every few months, she she circulates in the Overwatch community and I get a new batch of this stuff. But I'm honestly super thankful for going through that because I had so much thrown at me so quickly that it really desensitized me. <laughs> so now when I get the oddball person who sends me things like, oh, I hate your art, you should never draw again it doesn't quite have the same impact anymore. So I'm, I'm actually really thankful about that experience. And on top of that, a lot of people did like her. And I had fun just participating. Again, like I told you before, I love being a part of the community and getting to participate in a community contest was really fun. And the, the real kicker is that the character that I designed was kind of a tech wizard geologist type thing who was a healer and she had a conal heal and a, an ability that was very similar to reapers and then moira came out and i was like this is perfect i i got what i wanted but better you know <laughs> because and now she's she's my second favorite character to play because she does have that uh, stream of healing and she has an ability like reaper and she has this very kind of techno wizard magical look and i i love it and i love her have you played with moira a bit Oh, yes. Lots. My husband and I fight over who gets to play her in our competitive matches. <laughs> That's fantastic. I love Moira so much. I think she was the original character that I was like, okay, I'm going to really play Overwatch and I'm going to really play with this character. I like it a lot. I've since switched around a bunch, but I just, her ultimate is so great. Yes. And her voice and her design and the way she runs. She's just perfect. Oh my gosh. The Blackwatch Moira. <sighs> I'm ready. I'm ready for her. Yes. Well, since we're talking about class design, and even though some people were a bit rude about your character, I liked, I really liked the pirate skin. I thought that was neat. Uh, but if you were to create, not so much design base, but if you were to create a class in any game, what would it be? I'm one of those obnoxious people who want a buff class in WoW. And I know that shamans kind of sort of filled that role for a while or, or dipped their toes in that spec, but I would really love to have a dedicated buff class. And it could just have one spec that that was like a bard or something and then have some kind of secondary spec that was DPS or proper healing so that they could be viable in other ways and be able to do quests outside of raiding and PvP. But I would love something that just has pretty spells that does something other than damage and healing. I think it would add a completely new dynamic. I don't know how you would balance around that, but that's not what you asked me. <laughs> yeah, we're not here to talk about the meta of the game, although it would completely kind of change that. What would be, if you could make a spell for that class, what would be their like 
big one-use spell? I would have to say something akin to the type of ultimates that we see in Overwatch. So something like Lucio's ultimate that provides your entire raid or your RPG team with extra health and a shield. I guess you have Dispriest for that, but we could make this classes cooler. <laughs> but some, something that has the same impact as heroism, you know? But I don't know how you would balance that with heroism. Yeah, that's all right. This priest, who needs them? We'll just make a class that completely gets rid of that model. <laughs> this priest, who needs them? I feel like that's been my motto as a throughput healer for years. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to ask you this question in closing, and I know it's a big one, so take your time in answering. Do you have any advice for aspiring professional artists or aspiring artists in general? I would probably break it down into a few things. And those would be draw as often as you can and try not to compare your work and your progress to other people's. Push yourself and don't let yourself get too comfortable. Network with other artists and professionals that can help you along the way. And also be as kind and patient as you can with everyone you can because you never know when the people that you come across are going to be able to impact you later on. That last point is very good life advice in general. I believe that personally. I would like you to, if you can, elaborate a bit on, you know, how people, especially artists that might be a bit shy or starting out or introverted, how do they break out of that kind of market and uh, socialize with other artists in their given community? I guess the first step is to examine what you're afraid of and know that what you're afraid of is probably what, what everybody's afraid of. And sometimes it's it's just a matter of doing it and accepting that sometimes it's not going to work out and sometimes people aren't going to like you for whatever reason. And But there's also that chance that you're going to make a genuine connection and it's going to be really nice and people are going to respond very positively to you. So I think it's worth the effort for sure. Well, thank you so much, Fabe, for that beautiful answer and for spending time with me today. Would you like to plug your social media, let people know where they can find you? You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Tumblr at Fabelina. And you can find me on my official website, fabelina-art.com. Thank you so much. I'll put that down in the description below so people can find you. Thanks for coming on, Fabe. This was a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. It was fun. Mm -hmm.